We've been in an, uh, in an anchor series, and uh, it's been particularly ministering to me, and I've, I've loved it, I've appreciated everybody shared. I want to close it off today with, a, with an idea about how to get the breathed words of God, the prophesied word of God, when the Holy Spirit speaks to us today. Um, in one of our earliest elders meetings at Northlands, the Lord began to highlight a scripture for us that, that actually really impacted me at the time and it's, and it's been a, sort of a governing factor and it's gonna be one of the things that I think help us uh, as an anchor for our souls going into the future. That scripture is found in Isaiah 66 verse two and this is what it says. These are the ones that I look upon with favor. This is the Lord speaking. Those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. And so that that felt like the Lord was calling us as an eldership, certainly as a leadership team and therefore as a church, to be people who tremble at his word. And we began to discuss that and think that through. And we've endeavored since that time to be the kind of church that lives that out. So how are we to become people who tremble at his word? What actions do we take? How do we walk? What are our habits? And... Um, the issue, I think, is when you believe God has spoken, you jump to it, you, you pay attention to it, you tremble at it, you take care to do what God has said. Because what he says is the most important thing of all. There is a simple pressure where the Lord says, I want to teach you that you don't live by bread alone, you live by every word that comes out of my mouth. And so I think this is a, a significant lesson the Lord wants to teach his church because the life of God is dependent on the breath and, the, and what God is breathing. In fact, he said to his Israel, he said, I took you into the desert and led you in a way so that all your food reserve, reserves ran out because I wanted to teach you this lesson that you don't live by bread, you live by what I say. So they said, Lord, we don't have any more food. He said, okay, I'll give you manna. And then there was manna. So God said, yeah, this is how it works. I want you to be attentive to my word. I wanted to teach you this lesson. And it's one of the things that in our Western culture, we tend to try and shy away from. I don't want to be dependent on God's word. I want to get, and I want to be dependent on, I want to store, I want to have food stores. And um, while practical things are fine, I'm just saying that there is a principle here where God wants us attentive to his voice. So, I wanna talk about the two expressions of how God is gonna to speak to us. And the first is through his written word, and the second is through his breathed word, his prophesied, he's spoken, he's using other people. So let's talk about the scriptures. We believe here at Northlands that the Bible is the inerrant word of God in its original language, and is the primary and supreme authority for faith and life. The, the, the challenge with that is that the moment people get involved with the inerrant word of God, the moment I take the scriptures and begin to preach from it and I add my perspective and my flavor to it, I have discovered, and this may burst some of your bubbles, I personally am not inerrant, right? I make many mistakes. And so the word of God is perfect, but when I get in engaged with it, it, it now is no longer perfect, which is why the scriptures teach that when somebody is preaching the word of God to you, you have a responsibility to test, to see if what is being preached is accurate. Okay? So this is what Acts 17 says, the Bereans were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica because of two things. They resolved, they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures daily to see if what Paul said was true. Paul was raising the dead and driving out demons and healing the sick. 
And I would think in most churches, if somebody pulled that off you know, before they preached, when they preached, we would just take whatever they said as like that absolute truth. But the Thessalonians, the Bible says, are noble of character because they go, yeah, okay. But let me just check that out in Scripture. The Bible says they were noble in, in that pursuit. And I want to just say that's the nobility we're expecting from you. Just because somebody gets up in this pulpit, I don't care who it is, no matter how gifted they are as a communicator, no matter how charismatic they are as a personality, if what they say does not match with Scripture, we dump it. We hit for distance and say, no, thank you. Amen. Can I just get, you can say one of three things in the service that will really, really help. You can say, amen. You can say, oh my. Or you can say, nice man. That was the best comment I ever got in the sermon. I was preaching and somebody at the back said, nice man. So you can say either one of those three would be helpful. Okay. So, because we have to understand, because we go, oh, you know, if you stick with the word of God, you'll be safe. No, well, well, if somebody's preaching the word of God to you, not everybody comes to the word of God and engages with the word of God in an appropriate manner. The word of God must present truth to us. We can't read truth into it. All right? It must speak to us. We can't speak to it. Some people come to the Word of God with an agenda in their hearts, and they try and find a scripture that'll meet their agenda, that has the same words as their agenda. And they go, oh, you see, that means this thing that I've got in my heart. And, and you have to be aware of that, right? So <clears throat> some people come to the scriptures with a motive, and then they seek in the scriptures a basis for the argument that's already in their heart. So Paul said in Philippians 1, some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. Some preach Christ out of selfish ambition. I, I would venture to say not, nothing much has changed. There are some people who preach Christ not out of pure motives. Right? So it's responsible. We're calling out the nobility of the church. You need to have a freedom to be noble like the Thessalonians to test the scriptures to see if what somebody's preaching to you is true. Is that fair? Why? Because we want to be people who tremble at God's word. And in the first part is we want to make sure that that is the word of God that's being preached. Right? That's only fair. And it's right. <clears throat> so in my opinion, how closely people stick to the word of God and how accurately they bring what the word says out, that qualifies them to be good preachers. So what we do with the written word of God is we study it, we meditate on it, we read it, we memorize it, we pray it, we confess it. But most of all, we act on it. We do what it says. And uh, that's the important thing. As a church, as in general rule, we believe in the historical, literal way to translate the scriptures. That means we take it as literally as we can every time we can, but we put it into its historical context. We understand the original languages. We seek out the original intent of the authors and we bring that into our situation. The historical, literal translation. Now, the scriptures is not all just written out plainly. Some of it is allegory, some of it is poetry, some of it is history, some of it is parable. So it's not just this easy way of doing it. We have to think on it, we have to engage with it, we have to be careful with it. But in the being careful with the word, it brings tremendous life and we hear the voice of God. And that's something that we as a church are committing to do. We're gonna be people who tremble at the written word and the preached word in this church.
That's why very, very few people who preach here haven't already, I can't remember when last, either at a men's conference, or a ladies' conference, anything, anybody preaches on the stage, where I haven't sat with them first and we've gone through what it is and, and they've put time and energy and effort and many times there's a team of people who've engaged with that scripture before anybody ever comes out and preaches. Why? Because, because we're trying to do what Paul said to Timothy, do your best to present yourself as a workman who correctly handles the word of truth. That, that a workman is the, is, the, is the Greek word that means somebody who works to the point of exhaustion. You engage with the word. This is hard work. This is not flair and flamboyancy. This is hard work behind the scenes so that we can be clear that we're being accurate to the scriptures. Can I get a nice man? All righty. Okay. The second category of how God speaks to us is through the Holy Spirit, through various mechanisms. He speaks through his word. His word is our rock. His word are the rails that we want to run our faith and life on. We don't move away from the written word of God. But in addition to that, as you'll discover all through the New Testament, the the Bible models again and again the Holy Spirit speaking in various ways constantly to his church. And so he oftentimes will whisper directly into our spirits as the testimony today. I felt like the Lord spoke to me. Sometimes he uses spiritual gifts. Sometimes he uses spiritual leaders. Sometimes it's angels. Sometimes it's visions and dreams. Sometimes it's trances. Sometimes it's, it's various mechanisms of prophecy that the Holy Spirit loves to use. So it's not just the written word of God that we embrace, but the breathed word of God to us in our circumstances that we're also embracing. And we're encouraged just like the, the, this is the word of God and inerrant, but the moment some human person gets involved with it, we, we have to test it. So when, when God, the Holy Spirit, is using human people and human vessels to communicate to us, we just don't automatically say, well, if, if, if you say it's from the Lord, I'm just gonna embrace it. No, we test it all. Why? Because the Bible says we know in part and we prophesy in part. So come with me to Thessalonians 5 verse 20, and this is a great scripture. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. If I could just measure the vast majority of the church against that scripture, I think many of them would fall short. Right? I think a lot of churches violate that scripture. They treat prophecy with contempt. So that's the first part of it. And then he says, but test them all. How many should you test? That means even the ones you give should be tested by other people. It says test them all. Don't treat prophecies with contempt. Test them all. Cling to the good. Reject every kind of evil. So this means that I have an absolute freedom and an expectation of our church is that when somebody brings a prophetic word that you have the responsibility and the right to test it to cling to what's ministry to you and let go of everything else. How about that? Well, how dare you? I'm, I'm a prophet of God. I go, bless you. Uh, let, me, let me show you the word, which says I'm supposed to test everything you say. Corinthians 14, two or three prophets should speak. In elsewhere, he says one at a time, not all together. And the others should weigh carefully what is said. There's this responsibility that 
Because here's what people say, oh, 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 if you start listening to the Holy Spirit, that's where people go into error. We can talk about that in a little while. No, there's a right way to do this and a, and a wrong way. There's, there's a way that brings tremendous blessing and there's an immature response which brings some damage. I'm not saying because just because there has been some damage in the past, we're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. No, let's grow up in this. Let's be better at it. So these are some of the things we're talking about. But, but, the, but the, breathed, the breathed voice of God is powerful and beautiful. It's confirming. It's strengthening. It becomes an anchor for my soul. I've had the last four prophecies from different people who don't know each other, and they've spoken to me. They've all used the same term about me, the same definition. Now Michael Maiden came. He's the fourth guy who used that definition. I said, I went to the Lord. I felt a little bit rebuked. The Lord said, I can keep telling you if you want me. I said, no, Lord, I, I think I've got it now. He said, that's who you are. That's who you are. I said, yes, sir. Corinthians 14. If anyone thinks they're a prophet or otherwise spiritually gifted, let them acknowledge that what I'm writing to you is the Lord's command. I like this. If anyone ignores this, they themselves will be ignored. Paul says, listen, I just wrote to you and I'm telling you these are the guidelines. And if somebody doesn't want to listen to these guidelines, this is what the Lord told me to tell you. If somebody won't submit themselves to scripture, then you don't have to listen to them. There are literally some people in the church I've forbidden to prophesy because they were not submitting to scripture, because their lives were out of control. They're not living in self-control. They're living in aberrant lifestyle. I'm going, you don't have the authority to minister in this church, because your life is not in submission to the word of God. When you learn to submit to the word of God, we'll learn to listen to you. Until then, you're forbidden from prophesying in the church. Next week, I found them prophesying. Maybe I was unclear. Maybe it's a lang- Maybe it's my accent. You have the right and the responsibility to test everything that somebody says, whether it's something being preached or prophesied. Because we want to be people who tremble at God's word, and part of that is to make sure that we heard God's word. And the, the gifting of the individual or, is, or the, the ability of the shine of their gifting is not the measuring standard of its truth quotient. Paul said, if I or an angel comes in front of you and preaches a different gospel, you should ignore them. Now, some people say, well, if you just stick with the word, you'll be safe. But if you start listening to the Holy Spirit, that's where error comes in. And honestly, that's not the truth. Because it's not what's revealed in the New Testament. And Jesus said to the Sadducees, you have two sources of your error. You are in error, he said in Matthew 22, because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. Error comes from those two sources. I used to believe stuff about the the tongue. I used to say, before I encountered the power of God, I go, tongues died out long ago. And then I met the power of God and filled with the Holy Spirit, and then we spoke in tongues, and then I saw the power of God. Then I saw people changed and healed, and people getting saved, because somebody else was speaking in tongues. They didn't know that language, and this person got saved. And then we had a lady in our church, somebody spoke in tongues, and she understood it, and was like, oh, that's wonderful, and... I had a great theology till I encountered the power of God. Then the power of God sorted my life out a little. You're in error because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the word of God, the power of God. We need to know both. Keep us together. So, 
here are a couple of things. You say, well, well can you give me some practical issues? Yeah, let me, let me just talk a little bit about what's going on currently right now in our nation. The nuclear family that is described in Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3 and 1 Peter 3 of a, of a husband who loves Jesus and who pours out his life on behalf, sacrificially on behalf of his wife, and he pours out his life and life to his kids, and a wife who submits to her own husband and, and loves her kids, that family is God's greatest dream for what a family should be. That is God's dream for healthy and whole people. That is the way the Bible says that's what you should aspire to. Now, we all know that that's not always possible in any, because life happens to people and some people get really hurt. And I know that not every family is exactly like that, but I want to tell you that that still is God's dream. And anything in our culture or anywhere else that fights against that pattern, I'm against because I'm somebody who trembles at the word of God. Now, that doesn't, excuse me, that doesn't give me the right to treat people who don't live according to that with, with less dignity or without respect. I must, be, I must be gentle and kind and respectful to other people who don't agree with me, but I cannot back off because this Bible says this is God's dream and this is the fundamental building block for any nation and we cannot allow that to be taken away. Now, I understand some people in the world will not have this viewpoint because they're blinded, the Bible says, by the, by the ruler of disobedience of the air. I get it that they're not gonna see it this way, but I want, I'm here to tell you, believers, that it's our responsibility to understand that this is what the Bible says. And this is the way we're gonna live. Amen. Nice. Amen. Human sexuality, as described in the scriptures, Godly sexuality as described in the scriptures still has the power of God available to it that anybody who chooses to walk in the way the scripture says will find the power of God enabling them to walk in that way. And just because those who don't know the Lord are embracing anything that goes out there and it's all acceptable. There is no such thing as sin in sexuality. In the world's eyes, in the scriptures, it says this is the way to walk. And there are some things that displease God. And it is God's will that you should be holy. And that you should walk in an honorable way with your body in honor of the Lord. Because Paul said your body was not designed for sexual immorality. Your body was designed to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. So I don't mind that unsafe people don't understand this, but in the church, we're gonna stick with the word of God, not float with our culture. So, <clears throat> All righty. I have much more to say, but more than we can now bear. So let's talk about how to get the most out of the breathed word of God. Most out of prophecy, because that's where I wanna just focus. Uh, Tom Shulman, who, who was the di director and screenwriter for Dead Poets Society, he was quoting from Henry David Thoreau, I went to the woods because I wanted to live deep, I wanted to live you know, right, and I wanted, to, I wanted to live deliberately and suck out all the marrow of life, to put to rout all that was not life and not when I came to die, I discovered I'd not yet lived. And he said, sucking the marrow out of life doesn't mean choking on the bones. So there's a moment where we can go after the word of God, but you can leave some bones on the plate. That's fine. I've discovered that not every time God speaks to me, I know the whole picture ahead of time. And this is probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks I've had in my personal life, because I'm sitting there going, God, speak to me, but you've got to tell me the whole picture. 
And I've discovered in the New Testament that that's not typically the way the Holy Spirit does it. So an angel of the Lord shows up, you can read this in Acts 8, an angel of the Lord shows up in Philip's bedroom and says, I want you to go south on the road to Gaza. Now if an angel showed up at your bedside tonight and said, I want you to go on I-75 towards McDonough, I'd pretty much get in my car and be on the way to McDonough. And so he's a dry, you know, he's, he's on the road. And he's swivel head. What do you want me to do? Where, where am I supposed to go? What's going on? And the Holy Spirit says, stick close to that chariot. Or in our modern day, drive close to that car with diplomatic plates. Wind your window down. <laughs> Philip's running next to the chariot. And I think he did that for about two minutes and goes like, I've only got about another minute left in me, Lord, what, you know, this needs to happen. And then, and then he starts a conversation. Well, I go, oh no, I don't want it to happen like that. I want the Lord to tell me the whole thing. I want, you know, step, bullet point one. You go down, at, at 7.15, go down this road, and at 7.19, you're gonna meet this guy, they're gonna be in this car. Now, that's not how the Holy Spirit typically does it. Typically he goes, hey, go south on the road, and then you go, okay, and then you start down the road, then he goes, oh, good, now, now let's go here. Most of us don't want to start the journey because we don't have the whole destination. <clears throat> so, here are five things that I would like to suggest that when somebody comes with a prophetic word to you, you may want to consider this, this will help you. Number one, I think the fruit of the Spirit in their life and their character matters. Jesus said, you'll know them by their fruit. If, I, if you're desperately thirsty and all I've got is a rusty old faucet that's basically rusted away, and I go, oh no, I'll give you some, and I open, I open the faucet and this water comes out, and I get, oh, there you go. You, go well, you have anything else? I'll take a Coke, you know. <laughs> what do you have? Uh, somehow, the, the, the vessel through whom it comes is important. I'm not saying that God, you have to be perfect before God will use you to speak. God can use anybody. God used the donkey in the Old Testament to speak to a prophet. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying as a general rule, the character of the person who's gonna bring the word, the wholeness of the person who's gonna bring the word is important because it'll be helpful to you. Too many times, the unwholeness of the person is, flavors the water of the word. Number two, Question, does this harmonize with the written word of God? Because the Holy Spirit never fights against himself. The Holy Spirit never contradicts Jesus. The word of God is called the sword of the spirit. So when the spirit of God speaks, he's always in harmony with the written word of God, which he authored. Number three, what definitions are included? I wanna just say this is a big stinking deal because the Holy Spirit is extremely jealous over who gets to define you. Because the enemy would love the opportunity. The enemy would love an opportunity for you to open your ears to hear what he has to say about who you are. And if you open your ears to the enemy, you will always hear destruction. He will limit you. He'll criticize you, put condemnation on you, belittle you. But if you, if you say, no, I'm not listening to that nonsense, and you turn and you say, Holy Spirit, what do you have to say? He's always gonna speak to you about his dream for your life, who he created you to be, and what his purpose is for your future. The, the definitions the Holy Spirit gives about who you are, and we heard some in the testimony day. He's going, Lord, what should I do? And the Lord says, this is who you are. He goes, okay, great. This is who I am. 
And so I just want to say, if, you, if, you, if we're going to have, like we had Michael Maiden come through, I would just go through that prophetic word, write it down, meditate on it, listen to it a few times, and listen to it with these ears. What definitions did God make about my life? That'll help you get some nutrient out of it. How does God define me? God called a little shepherd boy a king. God called a, a, a guy who's hiding away in a wine press, a mighty man of valor. God called a guy who was barren, the father of many nations. This is the way God is. He defines you before you naturally see it. Pay attention to the definitions the Holy Spirit puts on your life. They, they're very important. Number four, listen for what promises did God speak? Promises are currency in the kingdom because God is extremely serious about the fact that he's, a, he's not a man that he should lie and or nor son of man that he changes his mind. He is faithful to his word. He always remembers. He never forgets. When he makes you a promise, when God swears an oath, it is extremely important to him. So when God gives you a promise, it's currency in the kingdom. You can go, God, you said it. I haven't seen it yet, but you said it, and so I'm taking it to the bank. You said it, Lord. Number five, what changes did God call for? Or what changes did he ask you to expect? You're in the season, this is the new season. This is the way it's been, now it's gonna be like this. This has been your expectation, now you should expect this. How did he define you? What promises did he make? What changes, what expectations should you have? Those are important things. Let me close with this. We're gonna be a people who, as best as we can, as diligently as we know how, tremble at the word of God, whether that's the preached word of God out of the written word of God, or whether it's the breathed word of God to us. Either way, we're gonna be careful and free to, to measure it to test it. There are some people who are sitting here going, do I, have, do I have to just embrace every prophecy? No, you don't. No. Well, what happens if I, don't, if I don't believe it's from God? Then you say to the Lord, I'm not sure, I don't believe this is from you, so I'm just going to leave it here, and if it is you, you can redeem it. I'm just going to let it sit. That's perfect. Because if it was God, he'll explain it to you. He'll come back. He'll show you what you didn't understand. He's immensely patient like that and immensely kind. Let me, let me pray for us. Lord, I want to pray for every person in the room. Lord, if we could just but tell you how precious your voice to us is if we could just hear a word Lord, from you in our current situation what a difference that makes if we could just sense your your intimacy and your closeness to us Holy Spirit what a what an encouragement that is if Lord you could just break into the daily noise in our heads and hearts and just bring your peace and a clarity, Lord, this is treasure for us. So we're making up our minds, Lord. We're gonna be people who cherish and tremble when you speak.
because your words, Lord, mean so much to us. Thank you for the scriptures. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your constant willingness, Lord, to speak. Would you speak to us again? And would you help us, Lord, <clears throat> make sense of it? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.